Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Venturini, who is the Climate Coordinator at the Group on Earth Observations. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background in geo, and what you're doing at the Group on Earth Observations with regard to climate. Well, I'm a development economist by training, which means that my studies were focused on developing country economies and development cooperation in general. And I've always been interested in international relations and sustainable development. And when I took a course on environmental economics, I started learning about climate change. And I had a chance to do an internship at the World Meteorological Organization in Geneva during my my master's. And I decided to continue researching the economic and social impacts of climate change in uh, developing countries, in particular in small island Pacific states, which was then the subject of my master's thesis. You have to imagine that at the time, almost 15 years ago, the topic was not as popular as it is now. And the whole concept of climate change and uh, adaptation to climate change linked with cooperation for developing countries was considered still very secondary. Then I joined a research institution in in Italy. It's called the Euro-Mediterranean Centre on Climate Change that at the time supported the Ministry of Environment in uh, international negotiations on climate. So I worked for them for, for another six years. And that was a really exciting time for me as a young scientist. I, I learned a lot about the, the climate diplomacy processes and concepts that I'm still dealing with in my job at GEO today. Then I wanted to further deepen my, my knowledge and uh, I embarked on a PhD course, uh, which was a uh, a crazy uh, time because I was working and uh, studying at the same time. And that was on climate change science at the uh, University of Venice. And this really taught me the, the physical science behind climate change, including climate modeling, GIS. And uh, at the same time, I could still keep researching the, the aspects that were closer to my heart. So issues uh, related to developing countries and, uh, and governance. So I, I finished with the a doctoral thesis on governance for climate action in Europe, which included a proposal for a, for a strategy that later was adopted by the Ministry of Environment. And uh, I'm pleased to say that I contributed to, to it. So with this whole baggage, I decided to move on to a new adventure and open my own consultancy company, Climalia. And I even moved to the UK to work with, a, with an Oxford-based partner company, which is called Acclimatize for four years. And, and this is where I learned all I know about the use of Earth observations for uh, climate adaptation uh, and climate finance. And finally, in September 2019, so quite recently, I joined the Geosecretariat as climate coordinator, where I'm lucky enough to, to make use of all the previous experience to support the geo community to use Earth observations for climate action uh, nationally and internationally. Wow, what a journey from, yeah. from development economics through climate science to Earth observation. I was struck listening to you by the fact that um, 
we both started our careers, mine quite a few years before yours, mm-hmm. I think, as development eco- economists. Ah. When I was an undergraduate, I was doing development economics and I was going to do a PhD in the subject, but for various reasons I didn't and found myself going into industry and eventually... 20-odd years after that, found myself in geospatial. So our journeys to geospatial started from the same point, Mm. went through a lot of different things, but arrived at the same same end point almost. Indeed. Um, So tell, because I'm not sure our listeners know who GEO is, so maybe just describe what GEO is and what it does a little bit. Okay. Yeah, GEO may be not well, uh, very familiar with many, but an intergovernmental organization that was established in 2005 already, now counting over 110 member countries. We also work with international and regional partners, which are called participating organizations in GEO. There are more than 130 so far. And we also have a more recent category of associates that include commercial sector partners. So you have to imagine GEO as a unique global network connecting government institutions, UN agencies, space agencies, academia, data providers, businesses, engineers, scientists, and and experts on, on Earth observations together to connect and create a community that is developing a global Earth observation system of systems. This is a GEOS concept that is meant to better integrate observing systems and share information and data using common standards. So more practically speaking, (laughs) GEO is, is mandated to improve the access and understanding and use of Earth observations for actual benefit of society. In particular, we are supporting three main global policy frameworks, including the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction, and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. So we are looking at these three engagement priorities to support national and international action. We are also looking at the fourth engagement priority, which should be urban resilience, responding to the recent urban agenda by UN Habitat. But to be more specific even, I can tell you that at the heart, at the at the center, at the core of GEO, there is a work program of about 60 joint activities that are coordinated, are led by member countries and participating organizations. So we have a GEO week and a plenary every year, which is the main event for our community to get together. There is also an executive body, which is responsible for strategic direction of GEO and a program board that essentially oversees the portfolio of activities. So the GEO Secretariat, which is based in Geneva, where I work, is just a small team, really, of of about 20 staff members that serve this large network and and provide coordination to the existing activities and and support the governance structure of GEO. Wow, and you're going after some big goals with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, climate change, disaster response. These are the big topics that are facing mankind at the moment, and uh, Earth Observation has a role to play in all of these? Indeed, all of them, and yeah. especially because they are interconnected. Right. And just at, about the organization, it, you've got a hundred national agencies involved in 
as members of GEO. So are they the ones that fund you? Yes. Or does the UN fund you? No, we are separate from the UN, although we are based at the World Meteorological Organization premises in Geneva. So we share some administrative um, processes, but the funding comes from, from our member government. Right. Okay. Depending on so, their, you know, it's voluntary. Yeah. It's voluntary. Yeah. Are all of these governments, do they all have satellites up there generating Earth observation data? Or are they just all countries that use Earth observation data? Well, the, the biggest contributors, of course, are, are the ones who have satellite infrastructure and can support Earth observation regularly with in-kind uh, support. But we also have members who come from developing countries, and they mostly are the beneficiaries of this kind of uh, support. So it's, it's a purpose of, of GEO, in fact, to produce observation data and products that are helpful to, to respond to these global challenges, and especially for developing countries. Fine. So how does Earth observation contribute to action on climate change? Well, as you said, Climate change is, is globally recognized as the biggest challenge uh, that we are facing today. It's also one of the challenges where the use of Earth observations can make the most difference. And this is because Earth observation has the capability to capture environmental and socioeconomic data over a wide range of spatial, spectral and temporal resolutions and this enables accurate monitoring of changes in, in key parameters for, for climate change. For instance, uh, Earth observation can uh, contribute near real-time data on greenhouse gas concentrations and emissions uh, that are important for carbon accounting. And this information is used in relation to the so-called mitigation responses. I don't know if you're familiar with, with this jargon, but this refers Explain. to... Yeah, this refers to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from industrial processes and, and mitigation is part of national targets that governments have agreed under, under the Paris Agreement. At the same time, governments have agreed to cooperate on adaptation to climate change, which is a, a complementary strategy. Climate change adaptation is meant to respond to the consequences of, of climate change that are already happening. So, Earth so, in other words, letting us live, enabling us to live with the consequences of climate exactly. change until we can actually stop it getting worse. Exactly. So while mitigation addresses the causes, so greenhouse gas emissions, adaptation addresses the consequence. And in this case, Earth observation data on, on the environment combined with other critical socioeconomic information, uh, for instance, uh, on demography, can be used to assess uh, impacts, vulnerability, and risks that are associated with climate change. And so enable the development of, of measures to increase the resilience of people and key systems that need to adapt to the new climatic conditions. For instance, with the space-based observations, you can measure deforestation, sea level rise, coastal erosion, desertification, Arctic ice melting, and especially in areas where data is, is Cares, which is especially important for developing countries where ground-based observation infrastructure is not sufficient. And so, uh, yeah, a question from me, and I think probably from a lot of our listeners who aren't familiar with this topic: How real-time is this data? I mean, is it being refreshed 
once a day, once a month, once a year? Well, this is a very technical question. I think as technology develops, we have real-time, even more accurate than daily daily measurements. I can't answer the exact timing, but I can find out for you. And uh, okay, but it's but it is daily. It is. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I can put you. I in mean, touch, the satellites uh, go around the Earth, and they're taking readings as they're going around the Earth. Do they go on the same? orbit all the time or do they how do they cover the whole earth no it depends it depends there are a range of different satellites that measure different variables different parameters so there are uh, measurements on like i said uh, water measurements on land measurements on forest so they are all dif- differently how do you say cal- calibrated yes Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes unique measurement and it also needs ground truthing with what we call uh, verification from from experts on the ground. So satellite information is important, but it's not always reliable without ground truthing. Okay. Your job title is you're a, the climate coordinator at Geo. That's right. What does what do you coordinate? <laughs> Good question. So in GEO, I am responsible for the climate engagement priority, which involves essentially supporting countries' action on climate change through Earth observation. So as you can imagine, across the GEO portfolio, the GEO work program, a number of activities are contributing Earth observation data and tools to support um, th- these two strategies that I mentioned earlier, adaptation and mitigation in key sectors. For instance, with crop monitoring, flood prevention, early warning systems for wildfires and so on. And, and GEO has been given a mandate by the UN, by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the supreme body that essentially regulates the international regime on, on climate, to treat global climate monitoring as a priority and to adopt a, a balanced approach to the application of in situ and remote sensing systems for climate monitoring. Therefore, I I participate in international negotiations under the UN Climate uh, Convention and all the dedicated events for the systematic observation community. And I promote the participation of geo representatives in this context. And most importantly, I'm coordinating a group of 100 experts and government officials within geo that is called the a climate change working group that is a recent body established under GEO to improve coordination and uptake of the GEO work program activities that are relevant to, to climate change to support you know, the uptake by decision makers and strengthen the collaboration with, uh, with important partners such as the WMO, the, the World Meteorological Organization, the, the Global Climate Observance System, GCOS, and the Committee on Earth Observation Satellites, CEOS, which is the essentially committee of all uh, space agencies in the world and other, and other important partners. Wow, what a fantastic job <laughs> to have that, to be able to actually reach around the whole world and to engage with people to actually make a difference on climate change. It must be very satisfying to be working in a space like that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, quite, I'm quite happy. <laughs> you know, I look back on all the things I've done and I can't think of anything that I would be as proud of 
as had I been doing something like that. So give me and our listeners, more importantly than me, some examples of the challenges and successes Mm. of using Earth observation to support climate change, action on climate change. So I will start with successes, which is always good. Good. (laughs) In our portfolio, we have four big flagship initiatives that are the ones that are most mature and, and operational And these cover diverse sectors. But just to name one, the Global Agriculture Monitoring, GeoGLAM, was created as a direct response to the G20 Agriculture Ministerial Summit. So it has a direct link to to policy. It provides operational services to types of monthly crop condition reports, including one for main production countries and one for main food security crops. And these are basically consensus reports based on earth observations and assessments by experts on the ground, like I said earlier. And um, basically the tools and the information products on the near real-time state and changes in agricultural production are developed at the national to global scales and support the development of early warning systems in agriculture. And, And one priority action that we have for this year is to publish some guidance on how developing countries can integrate these processes into their national adaptation plan. So to make the link with climate uh, action even, uh, even stronger. So just to go back to the success story, in 2016, the GeoGLAM team worked with the Ugandan office for, of the prime minister to develop a crop monitoring system. And one year later, in 2017, the crop monitor provided three months early warning of possible crop failure due to, to the ongoing drought, which was enough time to take action and mitigate the, the losses and damages that would be generated by this drought. And so in particular, the, the monitoring, the bulletin triggered the, the disaster risk financing facility that scaled up public projects in the drought affected region in Uganda called Karamoja which uh, basically offset agricultural losses. And as as a result, $2.6 million of losses were avoided and more than uh, 150,000 local farmers were were helped. And similar stories happened in Argentina, in Southeast Asia and other developing countries. Wow. So if I summarize that, you, you were able to predict a drought three months before it happened. That's right. And... That enabled the local government to implement some action to mitigate the effect of the drought. That's right. Well, not me, but the GeoGlam team. No, 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 not you, but the the program. Yes. So presumably you can do that worldwide. Yes, of course. There are are already projects uh, that are ongoing globally to to do so. But of course, as we need the support of national and and local experts for for validation on the ground, this needs to be linked to to national efforts. So it can't be done in isolation by a a secretariat sitting in Geneva, let's say. It needs to be done together with with local scientists. Right. So you got another example you want to give me? Yeah, well, this is a, an example that has a, has a growing potential. It's a, another a new community activity that is called Digital Earth Africa that is essentially using open 
data cube technology to produce operational products for the entire African continent. And the first product is water observations from space. And these data are free, basically, and open to to all to enable uh, government officials to develop the to develop decisions and um, policies based on on these sound data on 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 many sectors on soil and coastal erosion on agriculture forest water quality and and even uh, changes to human settlements so this is important in africa because it it's a program that also entails a, a huge capacity development uh, component in uh, in the country and uh, with the uh, policymakers involved so this is sustainable over time. Right. And what about the challenges? Right. The challenges for me, the ones that I am experiencing, mainly relate to the difficulties in coordinating all these activities across so many sectors and linking them to the relevant policy drivers, which is a part of my job. But uh, what I find is that sometimes the activities that are led by by scientists that are pure scientists who are disconnected from the policy domain and they don't see the potential of earth observation data and products that they are generating that these information can have to support real economy actors and, and investment decisions. So we are working to improve this connection and, and relevance. Okay. So I'd like to talk a little bit because about open data, because a lot of our listeners are members of the OpenStreetMap community. Mm -hmm. Um, They're involved in open data activities. So how much interest is there within GEO in making Earth observation data, open data? What's available? Where can people find it? Yeah, there is a a huge amount of data already available in, in, through some of the major Earth observation programs, such as Landsat and Sentinel. And this data can be found in, in various places, such as NASA or ESA website, sentinelscopernicus.eu, or earthdata.nasa.gov, or via private sector, sentinelhub.com. Uh, or AWS, Amazon.com. So it's really open to all. And uh, as to GEO, we also have brokered access to these data sets and more um, through the GEOS platform, which is uh, the concept I mentioned earlier. This is infrastructure built with the GEO community, working with 7,000 data providers. This is not direct access to the data, just the metadata. However, we are, have already provided over 400 million open Earth observation data and information sources there. And um, so, yeah, that's <laughs> quite uh, impressive. But uh, more in- interestingly, yeah, the Geo Secretariat is, is about to release a new Geo Knowledge Hub that is part of this Geos infrastructure. And this is a digital repository providing access to knowledge required to build application of earth observation. So this is not just about data sets, but to reveal all components of a given application that will make you know open data become an open science. So this includes research papers and reports describing methods and results, but also software algorithms and cloud computing resources used for processing 
in situ and satellite imagery data used and also results for verification. So you would be able to not only find the data, but find the the tools and algorithms to extract vegetation or building outlines or or roads or anything like that from that data. Exactly. Wow. And do you guys use a lot of open source software or is it sort of all proprietary stuff? Yes, we do. Open source software development has long ceased to be a a marginal activity, and it's currently part of the portfolio of big IT companies. And we work with Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, to to name some. I mentioned earlier the Open Data Cube, uh, which was developed first by Geoscience Australia, and it is being used to support critical Earth observation products as part of Digital Earth Australia, Digital Earth Africa, and other continental data cubes that uh, exist or are under development. But we also work with closed source software providers, for instance, with Esri and Trimble. They are all associates to, to GEO. Okay, just one question from me there, Sarah. For those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with the terminology, can you describe what a data cube is? Okay. So a data cube is, try not to use technical jargon, is a, well, it's a cube of information that includes spatial and temporal information that provides essentially a, a full picture of about a, a variable, a component that you're studying in a, in a particular context, and it gives you the perspective over time and over space. Right. So it might be Earth observation over a period of time in an area, or it might be other sensor data that's being collected. It might be some ground truth data that's being collected, all put together in a way that you can cross-cut it and interrogate it. Exactly. Okay. So as an organization, and you can tell that I'm keen on open source and open data. I mean, it's my background, so Mm -hmm. it's what I've done for a while. How do you support open source and advocate for it? Well, GEO has always been supporting open data since onset in 2005, and also open standards and more recently open science, which, as I said, refers to the openness and and sharing of the methods used to process Earth observation data, not just the data sets. And so while we recognize the relevance of open source software for, for the development of Earth Observation Services, we have recently approved a new community activity to be part of the GeoWork program. It is called the Open Earth Alliance. And the primary goal of this activity is to support global sustainability through the use of open solutions. And uh, we consider this to be a really important base from which to develop broad open source software community in GEO, including with the private sector. And besides that, we are also working with service providers to lower the barriers for entry to technology in terms of computing capacity for developing countries to run Earth observation programs and, and projects. So for instance, with uh, we had a, a campaign in 2019 with GEO Amazon Web Services Cloud Credits Program. And we launched a call for developing countries to to access free cloud services. And and this essentially developed 20 projects that have been funded by Amazon Web Services and GEO. In total, we have now collaborations with Google Earth Engine, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft 
AI for Earth for 55 projects. And we raised uh, more than $10 million worth of cash, credits, and engineering support for, for the geo community. And other providers are likely to join with additional resources. I have to say that this is mostly the, the results of the work of a small team of resource mobilization within the geo secretariat led by, by Stephen Ramage. And of course, as I said, we are a small secretariat, but we're trying to, to help our big community as we can. I can't imagine many people saying no to Stephen Ramage. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we need to, this has been fascinating and particularly just hearing uh, that about how you're making data open and the way big commercial companies are supporting you and helping you to do that. But I've got to bring us towards a close. And before I finish, I, I'm always interested in what people do outside of their daily work and how somehow often their hobbies and interests connect to their passion for geo and geography and sp- spatial stuff. So what about you, Sarah? Because I think you might have something hmm. for me here. Yes. Well, I was lucky enough to travel a lot for my for my job, you know, I'm doing outreach with countries for geo, but also before I've always been traveling much. And as an Italian national, I, I really enjoy cooking and and I discovered many uh, different cuisines around the world. So now I try to combine, <laughs> you know, original Italian cuisine with, with different experiences. And I think I have developed some Italian-Asian fusion cuisine of mine. I don't know if my fellow Italians <laughs> would, would agree <laughs> with that, but uh, I like it. Okay, so I have a very close friend, an Italian who's now been living in London for a long time. He's now actually a British citizen, and he cooks some sort of traditional Anglo-Italian <laughs> fusion food. Um, okay. you know, I'm not going to describe it because he says true Italians who are passionate about food would be horrified at Absolutely. his combination. But what I am <laughs> going to do is ask you afterwards to share with me a couple of Italian-Asian fusion suggestions so that I can try them out. I will. Okay, so just before we wrap up, Sarah, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing? Okay, so obviously we have a website, which is earthobservations.org, and check it out because we often post uh, job opportunities on there, and, and we also have blog posts describing our events and updates from the GEO community. And we are also very active on social media, thanks to the GeoComs team. Twitter, you can find GeoSec2025 and me as La Venturini, L-A underscore Venturini. Great. Okay. Well, I'll be following you straight after this, and I'm sure a number of our listeners will be. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been fascinating. I've learned stuff. I'm looking forward to recipes from you. Thank you very, very much indeed. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. 
You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.